Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. So big news. The CPI number is out tomorrow. Today's Monday. It's coming out on Tuesday. Let's go over what market expectations are, the number, and then make sure you're sitting down because I'm going to go over a chart that is completely unexpected, uh, that nobody is talking about, and I think is going to completely blow your mind. And it's regarding the CPI and the Fed potentially raising interest rates up from 3.75 to 4.25, maybe even higher in 2023. So you're going to want to put your thinking cap on for this one. But first, let's start by going to Zero Hedge. And they've got an outline summarizing what market expectations are for tomorrow. Key events in the last full week of the year. This is the last full week of the year? I Okay, boy, it tells you how, to, how, how out of touch I am. I, <laughs> I didn't even realize. I barely even realized it's the holidays. All eyes on CPI and the Fed. So they're talking about the CPI number tomorrow. And then the Fed coming out, so I believe Monday or Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday or Thursday, and announcing their interest rate hike. And is it going to be 50 or 75? Most likely 50. So let's see. Let's cut down here. Given the very close proximity to the FOMC, it clearly has the ability to change the tone of the message. Okay. Oh, I see. They're talking about the ECB. The statement and the dot plots, but this highly unlikely to change the headline 50 basis point hike. That's what they're talking about from the Fed on Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, DB, I believe Deutsche Bank economists expect a softer print than the consensus 0.21 arounded on headline Okay, blah, 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 blah. Bottom line here. This would leave headline dropping from 7.7 to 7.2. So Deutsche Bank economists are predicting that the number we'll get tomorrow is going to be 7.2 down from 7.7. The consensus is 7.3. And the core is the consensus is 6.1 down from 6.3. So the market is predicting that we are going to have more disinflation. And if I had to throw out my base case, I'd say this makes a lot of sense to me. Although we had a higher than expected PPI number the other day, it was still down. And so my base case would definitely be that the CPI number tomorrow will be lower than 7.7. I think looking at probabilities, the odds are higher that if we're going to stray from consensus, I would say it's probably better odds that it's lower than consensus. Even though, well, the PPI was higher. Well, I don't know. If I was a betting man, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because PPI has me worried. I was going to say my money would be that if it's going to differ from consensus, that it would most likely differ on the downside. So consensus 7.3, so 7.2, 7.1, maybe 7% flat. But considering the PPI the other day exceeded expectations, although it was still down, uh, I would say probably the odds are that we're going to be, uh, if we are, if the number is different than the consensus, probably going to be different to the upside, maybe 7.4, something like that but still down from 7.7, staying true to this trend that we've been seeing for disinflation. 
which is something we've been talking about on this channel quite a bit. So now they start discussing what this would mean for the Fed rate hike this week. In terms of more granularity around the Fed the following day, the dots will be fascinating. This is their kind of ridiculous dot plot thing they have. The likely 50 basis point hike will add to the 375 basis points, 3.75%, and it'll take it up to 4.25 this year end, but make a step down from the run for four successive 75 basis point hikes. Economists think the recent Fed speak justifies an increase in the median term dot to 4.9. See, I would disagree with this. Why? Because the two-year treasury, the high watermark was about 4.7. So they're saying they're projecting that the Fed will go higher than 4.7. And uh, this would surprise me. Although, to give them play devil's advocate, the inflation rate is significantly higher. And the last time the Fed rose rates much higher then the high water mark in the two year was during the end of the 1970s or early 1980s when we had another inflationary environment that um, was pretty extreme. So economists also think the Fed will keep it at 50. And then moving into next year, they start talking about the next time they meet, which is going to be the first part of February, maybe downshifting to 25 basis point hikes until they get to what they're projecting at 4.9 or you know right around 5%. So after the major central bank's decisions, we'll get the flash PMIs for the US, Japan, Europe on Friday with US retail sales. So a lot more data coming in this week that we'll have to pay attention to. So here's kind of how it works as far as the itinerary for the week. Uh, what we're talking about now, CPI coming out tomorrow. And, uh, oh, this will tell us when the Fed's decision is Wednesday. So, obviously, we'll be doing videos on that. And then the Bank of England and ECB announced their decisions on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll get the uh, a lot of the other macro data that will be very, very relevant to trying to figure out what it's going to look like in 2023 as far as CPI and the Fed rate hikes. Um, when we're done with the holidays. Now, let's move over to something that's a little more of a thought experiment. So what we were talking about there is just kind of the hard numbers, what to expect, what the consensus is. But I want to plant a seed in your mind, and I want to encourage you to think this through. And I just text Joseph Wang, so hopefully he'll be able to come on today and discuss this idea. But what I want to draw your attention to is the Fed's balance sheet. Let me go ahead and see if I can enlarge it. So here are the uh, what looks to be the assets, I would assume here, because you've got uh, bank credit, you've got the treasury, the bills, the notes. This is uh, all of the stuff the Fed has purchased through quantitative easing, mortgage-backed securities here at $2 trillion. And uh, we go down, and what is oddly missing, and this is something I want to discuss with Joseph Wang, is they haven't yet put in the deferred assets. And if you remember, we did a video on this last week where the Fed is they're basically their P&L, they're losing money uh, because they're having to sell a lot of these treasuries at a loss. And when you look at the remittances back to the treasury, usually that's a positive number because the Fed's P&L, they'd be making money, uh, but now they're losing money massively 
So they're going to have to fill that negative equity on their balance sheet on the asset side with these deferred liabilities because obviously, you know, they pay the treasury. So you would assume that the treasury would pay them if they had a loss, but that's not the way it works because the government's broke and <laughs> and they can't afford to pay anything. So the Fed just plugs that hole with this asset called a deferred asset, which is nothing more than just a little piece of paper. It's in fact, it's not even a piece of paper. It's just them typing in a little number saying, oh yeah, we'll make this in the future. So we'll go ahead and uh, assume that it's an asset now. But I don't see any of this on their balance sheet right now. So this would lead me to believe that the negative equity is, is they, they had some equity, equity to spare is what I'm trying to say. So let's just assume they had a hundred billion in equity and uh, they've taken a $50 billion loss as a result of quantitative tightening, them selling assets at a lower price than where they bought them. Because remember, interest rates are higher, therefore price is lower. And uh, so what would happen is they wouldn't have to start using this deferred asset until they wiped out their equity completely. Now, the equity should be, and again, I'm no specialist in accounting. I'll be the first person to admit. And I could be looking at the wrong report. And that's why I want to get Joseph on here to really, really clarify so I can get my head around this. But you would assume that it would be here on the the liability side of their balance sheet. And uh, maybe it's other liabilities and capital would be 35, what would that be? 35 billion. Um, So maybe that's it. Maybe this is uh, the, the magic number and they haven't had to take a hit that would wipe out or enough of a hit yet. But as they roll off their uh, and do quantitative tightening, as they reduce the size of their balance sheet, assuming that they're going to have to sell these things prior to maturing. Now, a lot of them, they probably don't have to sell, but some of the assets they'll most likely have to sell before they mature. And then when they burn through this 35 billion, then they have to move over to this deferred asset. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Who cares, George? Why why are you even telling me this? Think this through. Back in 2008, during the GFC, the Fed moved to a completely different system to manage the overnight rate, which they are increasing on Wednesday. The only question is, are they increasing by 50 or 75 basis points, which would take the interest rate they pay banks to keep their reserves at the Fed 
that would take that interest rate they're paying banks from 3.75 to 4.25. I think most of you understand how that works because you've been watching my whiteboard videos. So uh, let's take it to the next step. The amount of reserves, reserve balances with Federal Reserve banks. So this, so this is the amount they have to pay interest on would be roughly 3.2 trillion. 3.2 trillion. Okay. So Josh, if you have a calculator there, because I'm sure you're a lot better at math than I am, what is let's just say 4% of 3 trillion. Is that, my guess is 120 billion? Am I close there? Uh, you said 4%? 4% of 4, three tr- of 3 trillion. Um, 120 billion. 120 billion. Okay, so let's just assume for a moment they only have 35 in equity or capital. Where are they going to get the additional, let's just call it 90, 80 billion to make these payments to JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, everyone's favorite banksters. And you say, oh, George, well, that's easy. They can print their own money. Oh, you're right. You're right. They absolutely can. They'll just go ahead and credit their account. But what that will do is that will increase the reserve amount. In other words, increase their liabilities without increasing their assets. You see what happens when they reduce the size of their balance sheet, they sell an asset. And what does that do? That, that reduces the size of the, uh, that reduces their, uh, the asset side of their balance sheet, but it also reduces the liability side because they sell that into the market. And at the end of the day, how is it settled? It's settled in bank reserves. So the Fed, let's say they sold that treasury to JP Morgan, they would give them the treasury that would now be on the balance sheet of JP Morgan. And then they would reduce JP Morgan's reserve balance by the amount of the transaction. Therefore, that would not lead to negative equity. But what they're doing here is they're increasing the liability side of their balance sheet without increasing the asset side, which would take them into a position of being having even f- further Uh, negative equity. So are they going to have to start using this quote-unquote deferred asset, which is basically an admission that they're insolvent, to not only account for the losses they take by selling assets at a lower price, but also (laughs) just to pay IOER or IOR. And remember, the higher they take rates, the more interest they have to pay which increases the liability side without increasing the asset side. Therefore, the farther, the further insolvent they technically become. So I wanted to just go over that thought. I wanted to give you the, the numbers because you guys will hear that. I'm sure everyone wants to know what the consensus is for tomorrow. But also I wanted to plant that seed to really get you thinking about how the, the backend plumbing works and what that really means for the Fed's balance sheet. And if that will lead to issues, I would say that it probably won't lead to issues, but it just goes to show you how this whole entire system that we have is totally smoke and mirrors, totally smoke and mirrors and built on just confidence. It's, it's a, it's a thought abstraction, like my friend Chris Cole says, and that the fed can be wildly insolvent. And as long as we don't care, they're insolvent, then life goes on. And it only matters once we all collectively as a group 
decide to care that they are just as insolvent as FTX at the end of the day. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. See you in the next video.